Hi, I'm Brandon Briscoe, and welcome to another episode of The Postscript, Living Faith Bible Institute's weekly podcast and YouTube series devoted to interviewing pastors and professors from LFBI and across the Living Faith Fellowship. And of course, as you know, every week when we get together, we're having conversations about ministry, about theology, church history, missions, church planting, on and on and on and on. And uh, this week, we're going to be talking about apologetics. Now, apologetics is that branch of theology that's devoted to defending the Christian claim, focusing on how we go about proving that Jesus Christ and his word, the Bible, are valid. And uh, there are many different topics and, and ways in which you can prove that. You can use science. You can use the Bible itself, of course. Uh, you can use math. Uh, you can use experiential arguments to prove uh, that Jesus Christ is true and that his word is true. And we have a class here at LFBI that's devoted to apologetics and giving you handles on this type of thing. And uh, the professor for that class is a dear friend of mine, Tony Godfrey of Harvest Baptist Church in Iola, Kansas. Uh, I'm so grateful that he's here and we're gonna really enjoy this conversation today. And with that, Pastor Tony Godfrey, thank you for being with us, man. Man, I'm glad to be back. It's been a while. It has been a while. Now, last time you were here, we were having a conversation about your church specifically. Yeah. Uh, and you were talking about ministry in a rural setting. Uh, that was a lot of fun. A lot of people, um, pastors from other churches that are in rural settings reached out and said, man, I was so thankful for that episode. Yeah. It was a blessing. But you were also talking about how your church was kind of in transition at the time, uh, moving from your old location into a new location in a bowling alley that you were remodeling. Yeah. Hey, why don't you give us an update before we get into today's subject matter? Why don't you give us an update on where things are at with the church and, and yeah. how things are now? So I think the last time we we talked, let that episode, I don't think we had sheetrock on the walls. I think it was even the first day we had heat in the building. Wow. And so we were meeting in there, you know, people bring their lawn chairs, whatever, just doing ministry, meeting under trees, doing all kinds of different things. Mm -hmm. We are in our building completely doing ministry. The building's still not completely finished, but way functional. Yeah. And um, I think I mentioned last time that if there's any lesson that I learned is buildings don't really matter that much. Mm. Um, they're just facilities to help us do the mission. Right. And that being said, we've had a lot of rubberneckers coming in, just popping in on the street, just wanting to see what's going on. Mm -hmm. You know, they have memories, whatever, of the building. And that's opened up opportunities just to engage with people. Yeah, praise um, God. But uh, we've, um, we've grown uh, significantly in the that's last, wonderful. just in the last year. Uh, we've had a a lot of new families, a lot of new couples. Our children's ministry is ramping up like crazy. We have a Wednesday night Harvest Kids ministry that reaches the community, and that rolls into our Sunday morning Harvest Kids, and then it's just phenomenal. Our children's ministry is up, and we haven't had children's ministry in so long just because it's not able to, and that was just such a great thing for our body, just to get our children's ministry going. Just had a child just get saved two uh, two days ago, so mm, praise the Lord for that. Man, that's so wonderful. And, um yeah, and so our prayer ministries roll in, discipleships roll in. It's just really, really exciting. We're in a great place uh, right now. Man, that's so good because yeah. I mean, I remember at the time, and you know, I've kind of uh, we've talked obviously regularly. Yeah. Uh, watching the journey, one of the things that we kept talking about, and the things that you, one of the things you kept mentioning was that the trial of the transition mm. was proving the people, yeah. and it was preparing them for something that God had in store for them. 
And isn't it wonderful to have come through a transition kind of, and, and you're beginning to see uh, fruitfulness on the other side because yeah. people have ch chosen to be devoted to the work. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, it's been great for our body. And a lot of, uh, so a lot of the people who are members of our church have only known us in a time of transition. That they came in and while mm. we're transitioning, and it's kind of weird to see them transitioning into a time where we're not transitioning as much. Yeah, that's yeah. good, man. That's really good. So we're going to be talking about apologetics today. Yeah, uh, you're kind of winding down the semester. You've got just a couple lectures couple, left. A couple lectures left. And uh, I've heard awesome things. Oh, praise the Lord. Um, people have really learned a lot from the class. And so I, I, I feel like it's really good opportunity for you and I to sit down and, and talk about what apologetics is. Now, uh, apologetics is a discipline, a philosophical, yep. theological discipline mm -hmm. that Christians have engaged in from the very first century. Yep. I mean, from the very beginning of the faith, uh, Paul was, you know, he was laying out an apologetic, Mars yep. Hill, uh, in, in, you know, in the synagogue, he's yep. giving an apologetic. And so over time, I think we've got varying ideas and views on what it means to, to have an apologetic. Mm. I want to start by just asking, why is it important to be able to defend your faith? Why is that, the ability to do that, why is that significant? Why should Christians be concerned with knowing their Bible and understanding the world enough uh, to be able to defend who Christ is and the claims of Scripture? Yeah, I think that's a great question. <clears throat> and number one, we're commanded to be mm -hmm. able to give a good answer. Yeah. Um, and I honestly think you, it's impossible to separate apologetics from evangelism. It's impossible to separate those two. Yeah, explain that. Well, because um, the goal of apologetics isn't to necessarily win debates. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to debate somebody to Christ. My goal is to lead lead somebody to Christ through faith, right? Mm -hmm. um, and yet at the same time, as I'm sharing the gospel with somebody, if I'm engaging in evangelism with somebody, they have legitimate questions. The goal of apologetics is to provide legitimate answers to legitimate questions. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I think we're... Believers are engaged in what they call apologetics. It's really not. It's really a debate or they're trying to just throw out a bunch of proofs right. and they're not accomplishing anything for the mission. Mm -hmm. They're not, a, that's not truly apologetics because apologetics is tied to the gospel mm. and it is so important. Well, now I'm interacting with people who have legitimate questions or concerns or have reached certain conclusions that are contrary to the word of God and, and the Christian faith. And so when you're sharing the gospel with somebody, there's necessarily going to be conflict or questions. Mm -hmm. And I really think that's why so many believers do not engage in evangelism. Is they're not necessarily concerned about the rejection so much as they are concerned about their inability or ability to answer questions that may show up. Mm -hmm. And it's so important that we studied, well-read, and we, we know what the Word of God has to say and pre-know, pre-understand what questions are probably going to be asked of us mm -hmm. and be ready to give an answer. We live in such a uh, secularized mm -hmm. world where, uh, you know, young people are going away to university and uh, they're, they're being taught uh, from this secular worldview uh, what to believe. Uh, they take their professor's words at, at face value. There is definitely a, a plan and a system in place that Satan is using uh, to turn people away from belief in Christ. Uh, the enemy's been at that from the from the beginning. Uh, it does seem, you know, at least from our perspective, from our vantage point in 2022, that man, uh, the world views are becoming more and more polarized, 
and more and more concrete. Uh, explain to us how worldview plays into this and why it creates such a problem and, and, and difficulty for a person in, in terms of proving out their faith. Where, who is the enemy here? Like, what are we up mm. against and, and why is this so important to that? Okay, so to expound on that, I'd like to use Colossians 2.8, mm-hmm. which is our base text for our entire class. Okay. And uh, Colossians, I'm going to put my eyeballs on. Okay. But uh, Colossians <laughs> chapter 2 and verse 8 says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. And I think often the, um, that verse is taught wrong. In fact, I've taught it wrong, looked at it wrong. This is Paul writing to believers about the the fact that there are individuals trying to spoil you. Mm-hmm. That's not spoiled milk, the spoils of war. Yeah, There's a war going on. It's a war for souls. And it's not necessarily a war for your worldview. Um, it's a war to determine which authority you're going to be submitted to. And Mm -hmm. that is the root issue that we're dealing with people is every person on the planet has a worldview. And that worldview is broken down really into three questions is what we're addressing. This is kind of how we broke down our entire class Mm -hmm. is uh, how did we get here? What's wrong with the world? And how do we fix it? Mm -hmm. Every person I know has those questions and has reached some kind of a conclusion. Right. Um, the same thing for a believer. And if we're not careful, we have a lot of believers that know what they believe but don't know why they believe it, have no true biblical authority. And so when they step into a classroom in humanities class or philosophies class or whatever, if they're not careful, they're going to be a spoil of war. Mm-hmm. And the goal, if you notice in this verse, is there's two authorities mentioned here. It's the tradition of men and Christ. Those are the two authorities. Um, and the tradition of men is always after the rudiments of the world. Um, and if you boil the rudiments of the world down, First John makes that clear to us what those are. It's lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Mm-hmm. And then everybody's worldview um, is developed from the authority that helps them accomplish the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride yeah. of life. Yeah. And so I just the stat we throw around in, in, the, in the class is 75%. 75%, I know the number is skewed, but it's a barn poll. 75% of Bible-believing Christians walk away from the faith after they've left home and got on to college. Mm-hmm. Um, why is that? Well, there's, I think, a lot of different reasons. They're not really grounded in the truth. Mm-hmm. That's one of them. Um, but you also have a lot of people trying to deconstruct their faith. Mm-hmm. Um, which just allows them to go out to the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, part yeah. of life, where they yeah. just conveniently no longer believe in God because they just want a different worldview. Right. Right. Yeah, I think what you're talking about is really interesting because when we talk about the traditions of men, we're talking about the the teaching and the philosophies that come with uh, following after men, uh, perspectives of, of teachers and mm-hmm. false masters, uh, who would seek to to reinforce ideas and, and constructs that are contrary to to Christianity and to the faith? Exactly. But on the same, you know, on the other hand, you've got the rudiments of the world, which is basically pragmatism and convenience for the flesh, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So the two things work together because at the end of the day, uh, it's really convenient to not follow Christ mm-hmm. and to come up and to have a worldview in one hand that gives you permission to be whoever you want to be. Exactly. To establish your identity in the mm-hmm. world. Uh, following after Christ is not easy. And I, and people throw yeah. it, throw away Christianity 
quickly uh, because they'd much rather at the end of the day um, have a philosophy that, that reinforces sinfulness and lust. That, that's the key. Yeah. Almost always when somebody walks away from the faith, it's because they, they just want to gratify their flesh right. in some way. Yeah. Well, people always gravitate to teachers who give them permission to do so. Mm-hmm. And so it's really the authority is the issue. And the worldviews develop from whatever authority they choose. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's, that's so key to understand and grasp. You mentioned the class and you've made reference to the class. You've, you've made reference to some of the things you've talked about. Tell us about the class and tell us about some of the things that you've been doing, some of the things you've been talking about. Introduce us to, to the content a little bit. Yeah. So we began our class talking about those worldviews, you know, mm-hmm. how it breaks down that way. I spent a lot of time dealing with the what and the why. This is the first few weeks, the first three to five weeks. Um, and then the last section of the class is, is the how. Mm. Um, how do we engage in those conversations? What questions might we be dealing with? And while I may not be just say, you'll deal with this question, I've been hitting it from different angles and different perspectives, um, trying to use passages of scripture to help us Help us in that. You mentioned Mars Hill, Acts chapter 17 is one, mm-hmm. one of my favorite apologetic examples in Scripture, just mm-hmm. the whole really chapter. Right. Um, but it's one of, my, one of my favorites. And so we're dealing with issues of um, the philosophy of science and scientism. Right. There's, mm-hmm. a, there's a difference. Science is always proving the Bible to be true, and scientism is a philosophy that uses science, falsely so-called, is what yeah. Timothy would say. Right. Um, and so we deal with issues like laws of thermodynamics and mm-hmm. those type of things, just drawing things to a logical conclusion. My goal in the class isn't so much that we lay out a whole lot of scientific proofs. People have Google. Mm-hmm. They, they can do that work. Yeah. Um, so we're not chasing down a whole lot of scientific proofs, but really getting people to understand where somebody else is coming from. Mm-hmm. And the root issue is they're submitted to an authority. That's why they have the worldview they have. And our goal is to invite them to have a biblical worldview. Mm-hmm. And they're legitimately going to have some questions that we need to be ready to give an answer. Yeah, I love that you break it down that way and you spend so much time on the what and the why because so many Christians do, for their own intellectual stimulation, they do just want the proofs. Yeah. And they get so hung up on that. And, and I think at the end of the day, Christians are afraid to build relationships with people that aren't like mm. them. Yeah. So the what and the why, that's inconvenient for the Christian. Yeah. Right, that's inconvenient for us because what it means is we're going to have to go build relationships with people that are completely different than us. Yeah, I, I think that is so important. So staying in Colossians, Colossians chapter four um, says that very same same thing. So Colossians four verse five says, "Walk in war- wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming mm-hmm. the time." So yeah. it's this idea um, where a lot of believers you have you have one group of believers say, "Well, we have a certain worldview." Okay, remember it's not about worldviews; mm-hmm. it's about it's about it's about the authority that I'm following Christ. Well, now they say, I don't want anything to do with lost people. Well, now you just become ineffective. Right. And then you have others will just want to build bridges and never cross them. So they're always building these relationships, but never get around to the gospel. And so I like that passage in Colossians 4, where he says, walk in wisdom toward them, toward the lost, mm-hmm. right? They're not necessarily coming to you. You got to go towards yeah. them. But then this is redeeming the time. You don't have time. So you have a slice of time to make an eternal difference. Clifford Clark used to say that, and, and that's true. And then it says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Mm-hmm. And the idea of answering every man, 
I think this is so important. Um, the idea of answering means that somebody's asked a question. Yeah. And often we're trying to answer questions that aren't being asked. Yeah. Because we want to manipulate and control the conversation. Mm-hmm. And I and I think that's that's a lot of the reason people want a whole lot of proofs because they can just ramrod a conversation yeah, they where they're not accomplishing anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's manipulative. Yes. And um, it's not winsome. Not at all. Um, and it didn't. And it neglects the Great Commission. It makes the Great Commission something that it, it was never intended to be, right? Right. And the Great Commission, at the end of the day, is about God's love for souls. Mm-hmm. And I think we always have to be asking ourselves, is, is my motivation here the redemption of a soul? Right. Or is it winning an argument? That's it. You know, um, it's, a, it's a pride question. Yeah. Now, speaking of questions and who's asking questions, one of the things that I hear a lot of times from young people is uh, that they struggle uh, to to be provocative or to uh, ask good questions uh, of lost people. Mm. In other words, a lot of times when we engage with our friends and we want to have an apologetic, we are spouting off facts and and you know we often refer to it as Christianese Christian right. Christian words. Uh, that we're familiar with, that maybe this other person is not so familiar with, and and we speak from a place of authority, uh, but that authority is not inviting. It's not you're not inviting people into dialogue, and so when you engage, you're you're filled with lots of facts and information right. and rhetoric. But until you can learn how to ask good questions, you're never going to get questions in return, right? That's, if you want people to ask you questions, right then you have to learn how to ask good questions. And so tell us about the art of question asking and engaging people this way uh, so that you might have an effective apologetic. When we meet somebody for the first time, it's always questions. Mm-hmm. Where you come from? Where you, where's your background? You know, uh, which barbecue is better? I mean, we yeah. ask all kinds yeah. of different questions, right? But the I, I think it's super important as we delve in deeper that we sit back and we let somebody answer the question. Mm-hmm. Because when we sit back and are silent without formulating a response, right? Because as they're talking, we're formulating a response so I can give them back. Yeah. Well, we're not accomplishing anything. Yeah. Because this person now thinks that they're being viewed as a project instead of a person. Mm-hmm. And so our goal is we need to learn to listen. And here's it's pretty amazing. When you sit back and are quiet and listen to what people say, they will tell you what they believe. And you may not even have to ask a question because right. – I've just learned sometimes the best way to ask a question is to be silent and just let somebody speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when they share something, you know, then then it, it just naturally the Spirit of God just leads you down a hole. Right. Um, and we live in a world where people are gravitating to their phones. Nobody sits on their front porch anymore. Nobody's interacting. Nobody talks to people. Um and so when you actually begin to have a conversation with somebody and somebody begins to realize, wow, this person really cares about me, mm-hmm. right? And then getting to the point where they're going to ask about you. I'm not, I'm not shy to tell somebody I'm a believer. I'm not. Um, now you can watch their body language shift or, or whatever, but mm-hmm. I'm not the weird dude, right? Yeah. I'm not shoving it down their, down their throat, right. but I am going to ask did you ever grow up? Did you ever go to a VBS? You know, mm-hmm. those type of things. Yeah. And man, you you get all kinds of information mm-hmm. just by being silent. Yeah. I think that is a, that's a key. I think, it, I think what you're talking about is so important. Um, you know, Christ was a great question asker. Um, and he did that because he, he wanted people to discover for themselves. 
So when people get talking, they're, they're divulging information. Maybe they haven't processed that information for a while and they stumble over their own contradictions and yes. the, the, the conflict within their own worldview. They stumble across those things pretty naturally and question asking just really invites them into that discovery process. Right. And, and I think on that, so as I'm listening to them speak, mm-hmm. I want to repeat back what they said. Yeah. So hey, here's what I'm hearing you say. Mm-hmm. Am I understanding that correctly? And you sometimes I'll throw in a Bible truth yeah. with that, um, where they may disagree or completely agree with that, whatever, whatever that might be, because right. it causes them to, oh, this actually this guy actually listened to what I had to say, um, and kind of threw my words back in my face a little bit, mm-hmm. <laughs> because there is a contradiction mm-hmm. or whatever right. it might be. Um, I'm slowly trying to work it where I can get to the question, who do you believe Jesus is? Mm-hmm. And then be quiet, and they'll tell you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they'll tell you. Sure. And then now, now I have freedom to have a conversation about the Lord. Yeah, I think too many Christians are watching uh, like excessive amounts of Q and As of Ben Shapiro after lectures, oh my goodness. and yeah. they're, they're watching and they think that their apologetic should somehow look like that intense dialectic that takes place in those yeah. YouTube shorts, and 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 we've lost sight of the listening part and the sitting mm-hmm. down with part and uh, part and the and the the praying part, praying over souls and, 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 and being patient. Maybe it's not this conversation this time, but it's, it's the yeah. next conversation and the next conversation and the next conversation. All right. So I got a great example of this. Yeah. Um, as a pastor, I get a phone call. I get phone calls every week. Hey, come pay my utility bill or oh, food sure, yeah. or this or gas. And well, we don't hand out cash. We just don't do that. Uh, one policy I've got is if, if I feel like the spirit of God is moving in that direction is um, we don't, we don't just fill your tank. I'm buying your time. Mm-hmm. And so here's here's the deal. If I'm putting $40 in your gas tank, I get 40 minutes mm-hmm. of your time. Yeah. Are you willing to sign up for that? Some people aren't because mm-hmm. they know where that's going. But the, so really fast story. I just, I had the opportunity to go down to a gas station just down the road from the church, um, filled this lady's gas tank up. And come to find out she's a Jewish woman who grew up Jewish, practicing Jew, married a Christian, gets kicked out of the synagogue, all these different things. Mm. Um, And now she's in a group text with me and my wife, and she's asking tons and tons of questions. Well, I was preaching through Deuteronomy at the time. Mm. And so God was allowing me to preach Jesus, talking about the red heifer you know, outside the city gates, just preaching, preaching mm-hmm. Christ. And, um, and that has transpired a, a numerous conversations over two months, wow. two months of time. I'm trusting that she's going to get saved, mm-hmm. you know, but she lives 20 minutes away and God's going to have to work or shit all that. I'm willing to play the long game. Yeah. And I think some people wants to, they, they get engaged and call it apologetics and apologetics is not a short game. Right. It's the long game. Yeah. Um, I think that's super, super important. And I think that leads maybe to the next question is, how do you know that you're having success in a relationship? I mean, I think it's very difficult for us to determine, um, you know, at what point we need to give God space to be God and, and to step away and let, you know, this. I've taken this relationship as far as this person's willing to let it go. Uh, I, I want them, you know, it's tough because we can't throw people away, right? Like, mm. 
um, if you've built a relationship, you've got to keep that relationship, you know, regardless of whether or not someone has received Christ in your timing, you know, but at the same time, we have, there has to be balance. Uh, We have to know when uh, a relationship, you know, a dialogue around Christ is not going where it's supposed to go because we do have to redeem the time. And we have to know that that there are some people that we kind of have to back off and and maybe go build a relationship with someone else Mm -hmm. that we might make a similar investment with the hope that God would save some. Right. Right. So how do you how do you balance that and what kind of perspectives do you take into those relationships? All right. So I think Acts 17 gives us great insight mm-hmm. on that. So when when Paul is um engaging with people at Mars Hill, right, and, and sharing the gospel that way and, and doing his different things, well that was there was a time and a place where at the end of that conversation they had three different responses, right? Some wanted to hear it more. Okay, well, I can work with that group. Mm-hmm. You know, some just wanted to make fun, right? Right, and and some of them actually got saved. Okay, well, I have to be wise and understand that I'm going to get those three responses mm-hmm. when I'm interacting with somebody. So this this lady that I'm slowly building relationship with, um, if it comes to the point where she just wants to just yeah talk, yeah, well. You can go talk to somebody else, mm-hmm. right? But if she's truly engaged and wanted to continue the conversation, I'm, I'm willing to do that for years. Yeah. And where I'm from, it requires sometimes up to a couple years to yeah. lead somebody to Christ. It's a slow pace. It's a everything's <laughs> slow paced. I mean, you're, you're busy, but it's a slow paced different sure. building relationships is hard. And so I'm willing to do that. Mm-hmm. But if somebody's just going to be mocking whatever, I'm out. Yeah. You know, right. Um, um, and I, I'm just drawing a blank with me right now where, where the passage is, but where uh, where Paul was taking people from, took his disciples from the synagogue and takes them to the school of Tyrannus mm-hmm. and begins to just teach and do uh, engage in apologetics there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the goal wasn't that everybody got saved. It was successful when everybody heard the word of truth. Yeah, yeah. Well, then he was done. Oh, mm-hmm. everybody's heard the gospel. Yeah. They've all responded one of those three ways, but that was success. Mm-hmm. The success is response. Yeah. Yeah, I want people to get saved. Don't get me wrong. I want everybody I talk to to get saved, but I'm successful when they've responded mm-hmm. and actually heard it. Yeah. There's a big difference between me speaking in it and somebody hearing it. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the show. We're going to pause right here for just a second so we can hear from one of our students from the Living Faith Bible Institute. Hi, my name is Sierra Schaefer, and I am currently in Tampa, Florida, a part of the work um, the Lord's doing at Living Faith Tampa, and I'm enrolled in LFBI classes um, and have been for a few years. LFBI has allowed me to grow in God's Word in a deeper way than I ever have before and has held me accountable to the Word of God. I'll reread passages I have a billion times before and always learn or see new things because of what I'm being taught and what I'm receiving through the teaching of God's Word. And it has helped in leading Bible studies and discipling and investing in girls uh, who need to grow deeper in the Word of God. If you are a growing disciple or just want to learn more about God's Word, I would encourage you to sign up for classes and just be willing to give your time to 
be able to give an answer to anyone who asks, and that's one of the greatest ways LFBI has helped me is just to have an answer and to hold myself accountable and know that God's Word is the foundation. And so I would encourage you to sign up. To enroll for classes, visit lfbi.org. To support LFBI, please visit lfbi.org slash support. Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. This week, I have the privilege of interviewing Jessica Makona. They say Naguyan, Nagayan. <laughs> and they would end up talking about the Bible. They'd be falling asleep on the couch, and I'd be like, you're not done. Wake up. <laughs> I want to know what happens next. This is one of the first times I've ever been to a church service in my life. I'm 22 years old. Somebody came up on stage and shared the gospel, and I heard it. I had ears to hear it in that moment. Uh, I want to trust God for uh, my disciples to grow and make more disciples. Hi, I'm Brandon Briscoe, host of The Postscript and provost at Living Faith Bible Institute. I want to announce a new show from LFBI called The Postscript Shorts, you know, like a short story, where we take time with students from the school to hear their testimonies of salvation and discipleship and all of the amazing and miraculous things that God is doing in the lives of our students. Our students represent a wide range of ethnicities and ages, but most importantly, a wide range of ministries in local churches all around the world, and we want to introduce you to them. So if you want to be edified and challenged, join us every other Wednesday for the Postscript Shorts. And now back to the show. There's a big difference between me speaking in it and somebody hearing it. Yeah, it's the whole, it goes back to the idea that it's God that, that gets the increase. Yes. We are planters. That's it. If we're lucky, we get to be waterers too. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're planters. But at the end of the day, it's God who gives the increase. We've got to trust that part to him. The response is between him and that person. Right. But we win when we know we've planted. That's it. Yeah. That's absolutely. it. That's that's a win. Yeah. I'm, I'm successful. Mm-hmm. Well, but they didn't get saved. No, but they heard the word. I think that would maybe make a switch in people's minds. Well, this For isn't sure. about debates. Right. Because no one ever got saved through a debate. Mm-hmm. Because if I can prove something to you, then I'm then we're out on faith. Yeah. Yeah. The old timers used to say if if I can convince you of something, well, someone else will just be able to convince you otherwise. Right. So it's not about convincing, it's about conviction. Exactly. The conviction has to be there. Yeah. For sure. Let's get into the area of proofs a little bit because I think okay. people want to hear people want to hear some proofs and they want to hear a little bit about the the meat of the of the content of the class. Okay. One of the things that you point out in the class is that there's always been an attack on Genesis. Oh, for sure. And that really, uh, in a secular worldview or among the lost world, the philosophy of the world, uh, Genesis chapter one in the beginning is the place uh, where you can immediately undermine the authority of God's word. No doubt. And if you can challenge that section uh, of scripture, uh, then you've won something. Then yeah. you've, you've gained something and, and you can move forward in the context of your worldview with confidence, right. if you will. And so maybe you can talk to us a little bit about Genesis chapter one, verse one, that says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, right there. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that that, that, is, that is the place where con- there's so much controversy and there's so much work to be done in terms of the apologetic. Can you explain that to us and, and, and paint that picture? All right, so a couple things. I think... No matter what verse God starts his Bible with, it would be the first verse of the Bible would always be the issue. 
no matter how, yeah, how God would have started. That's an interesting thought. You know, just what, I mean, if you talked about cows, okay, well then. Yeah, right. We're going to debate about cows for till kingdom come. Right. All right. So no matter what, but according to Psalm 19, God reveals himself through creation. Mm-hmm. So there's not one person on the planet who hasn't come face to face with the reality that they exist and that they've put it together. There's a God. Yeah. And Romans chapter one says that they've come to a different conclusion. Some have acknowledged that there's a God and some have come up with their own version of God, which always seems to look a lot like them. Mm-hmm. But then Genesis chapter one, verse one, God says, in the beginning, I did it. Mm-hmm. Right. So this, this question, this conclusion that they've already dealt with, there's not a person that I come in contact with that hasn't already dealt with that. I'm already in a great position. They already know God exists. They've accepted or rejected that. Mm-hmm. All right. So that takes me to Genesis 1-1, because now God is claiming to be the one who made it. It could mm-hmm. have been any other God. It could have been an alien. It could have been whatever. Yeah, there's a specific being. But God says, I'm the one who made heaven and earth. And so God is introducing himself. Mm-hmm. And not just introducing himself, he's introducing himself with an authoritative book because he just made an authoritative stance. Yeah. And if he is a creator, then I'm in submission to that because I'm the product of that creation. Yeah. Well, people don't necessarily want to hear that, and so they attack it. And so to explain away God, they'll try to explain away the truth. Or to explain the truth, away the truth, they'll try to explain away God. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes the most attacked verse in the entire Bible. Mm-hmm. Because if they can explain away the first verse, why read the next one? Right. It has no validity. Yeah. And so we encountered this in elementary school. Yeah. You know, we we were sold a lie from an early age, mm. right? Yeah. Um, obviously, the, the, the pitch, it varies from decade to decade, can never really make up their mind about, about how they're going to attack this. Right. Um, it's usually some sort of amalgamation of ever-changing views on evolution, right. where human beings came from, slime. Uh, you know, crystals that were carried on asteroids that, you know, crashed into, you know, matter and and produced life on Earth. Right. uh, You know, reasons and ideas about where water came from and the rotation of the Earth. And they go on and on. They've got, you know, the Big Bang, obviously, is is kind of actually fallen out of favor a little bit uh, with with a lot of the scientists. Because because if you think about it, it makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. And, and, but there's, it's always changing and they're never actually drawing a conclusion other than the fact that they're convinced that they can't be a creator. Right. Exactly. So what do you talk to the students about that? Like when you're addressing the students in your class, what are the, some of the things, some of the proofs, some of the things to consider when defending the creation itself? All right. So science will tell you that the universe had a beginning. They all agree that the universe had mm-hmm. It's pretty much, um, they used to say, back when I, we were in elementary school, we were told the universe is eternal. It just goes forever that way and forever this way, and it's just always been. Mm-hmm. Well, as a kid, I don't really fully understand all that, but I just believe it. Okay, well, it's big. Okay, yeah. I can I can understand that. And yet, science has proven that the earth is, ex- that the universe is expanding. So if it's expanding, my question is, it's expanding into what? This is my First question, right. how can it expand 
if it is eternal, it's not possible. So they, they know it's expanding, but at the same time, they also know that it's winding down, that the rate of entropy is increasing, which is a funny way of just saying it's winding down. It's running out mm-hmm. of energy. Yeah. And so if you extrapolate that, if it's expanding at the same rate, by the way, that it's winding down, then they can bring it back to a point in time to say, yes, there was a beginning. Now, they will call it a singularity. Right. Um, the a source of energy. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're not just where they would say that all time, space, energy, and matter were consumed into a, uh, a, a dot the size of a pinhead, and somehow, some way, it exploded. They mm-hmm. don't have a reason for that because they would just say, punt, we don't, we don't know we weren't there. So yeah. they're believing it by faith. Yeah. At least they're, most of them will acknowledge that. A lot of them will, and a lot of them are making claims about um, other dimensions and aliens. Yeah. Uh, like, and these things sound absurd, but these are... These theories are becoming more and more oh. popular in the scientific community. But it's all the same argument. Yeah. They just put a different, put li- new lipstick on it. Yes. And so it's the same argument because no matter what you do, there's got to be something holding the chain at the end going, mm-hmm. I caused it. Yeah. Because it's impossible, it's impossible, scientifically impossible for matter to exist outside of space and time. It just doesn't, it's mm-hmm. not possible. Mm-hmm. And so it's impossible for space to exist without matter and, and time. They all have to come together at the same, right. same, same rate. And so if there is a singularity, let's just pretend that there is, if there is a singularity, then there has to be something of equal or greater force impacted on that to cause that. Mm-hmm. I believe my Bible says God did that. Science yeah. says we don't know what did that. Well, it sounds a lot like Mars Hill to the unknown God. Mm-hmm. And it's our job to say, well, we know what his yeah. name is. There is someone connected to that singularity. Yes. And it was a word. It was yeah. a reverberation right. that came from his mouth right. that, that, that was the catalyst for all things. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's, it's powerful, and it is contentious. It's, it's, a, it's a very contentious thing. But the truth is uh, people don't know their science as well as we ought to know our Bible. Right. <laughs> and so when you actually engage with people, um, most people have not f- fully, you know, use the word extrapolate, have not fully extrapolated the conclusions right. that they've drawn, right? Like they don't know the pieces that fit together. They just make those claims, again, because it's pragmatic and, right. and, it, and it, it's utilitarian to their to their ends of, of serving their flesh. Right. When somebody says, well, I believe in evolution. Okay. Well, everybody I know believes in evolution. So mm-hmm. let's let's work that backwards. You know, so you believe in the, a non-life produced life is what mm-hmm. you're believing. Well, I don't believe that. Well, you can't have one and the other. Yeah. You have to have both. So which is it? Right. Um, and now you have this explosion that created order where the universe, science will sell you and know everything's trending to disorder, not to order, mm-hmm. um, which is what we're actually getting ready to address. In Did this. you listen to Devo in the 80s? A little bit. Yeah, whip it. I, I like well, whip it is you know controversial, but yeah, I like Devo. Okay, right? Devo was based on this idea of de-evolution. Oh, okay, is that things are are actually devolving? Yes, yeah, they're not. Things aren't evolving. Yes. Things aren't growing more and more complex. No, they're devolving. They're devolving, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and despite the fact that they're devolving, uh, people people still believe in, in the evolutionary claims, right? Yeah, it's pretty wild. Anyway, well, I just so, had, I wanted to, I wanted to name drop Devo just because well, I know I'm, you like it because that's exactly what we're dealing with this next lecture is mm-hmm. the fact that 
uh, everything is devolving. Mm-hmm. So you're in one or two camps. Yeah. Everything's evolving for the better. Everything's devolving right. for the worse. You're in one of those two camps. And that's exactly what we're getting into this next lecture. Yeah, one of the interesting uh, recent claims, just for the last couple of years, uh, some geneticists um, did the research, took years to do, uh, but they believe that they can trace the genetic code in humans uh, to two individuals. Oh, imagine yeah, that. They just they just recently discovered that the genetic code actually, if we trace it back, um, we, we find that it's centered um, between uh, one man and one female, hmm. which flies in the face of evolution that says that, that primates evolved simultaneously in different parts of the earth over time over periods of time yeah. that it was many creatures, many animals right. uh, that were, were working towards this evolutionary process. Uh, no, it was actually just two people. Yeah. And w- those same guys, those same scientists would say, well, there was a huge bottleneck where there was a right. massive explosion, but there's a bottleneck. Yeah. Well, the it ice sounds, age, well, it's the ice age. Yeah, or it's well, the, you know, there was some sort of thing that, that or it caused. Could be Genesis six through eight. I mean, yeah, it, could right. be, it could just be that, you know, yeah. where the rest of the planet died. Mm-hmm. And there was a genetic bottleneck, and you know, yes. which allowed them to get from eight to two. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very simple. Yeah, yeah. But there are there are sciences uncovering things like this all the time that that they didn't set out to prove God, no, uh, but they but they, do it. but they are. Mm-hmm. Do you have other examples like that that you that you using in the class? A little bit, but not not a lot. We don't get into a whole lot of that mm-hmm. um, just because people have Google. But my my thing is logically how do we how do we approach things mm-hmm. how do how do we get from point A and so one thing we talked about is if we did evolve from primates or whales or an amoeba um, the the fossil record doesn't even flesh that out mm-hmm. and the fossils that that will show you if you're truly studied they're all made up you know they'll they'll find two or three bones and then they'll concoct this oh, yeah. this thing, and well, well, they're not going to tell you that at the museum. No, but if you studied the paper, well, well, that makes sense. You yeah, know, they're you know they're trying to find, well. So where are the intermediate? Where's the missing link? Right, right. as we're told, you know, mm-hmm. where's the missing link? And they'll point to all different kinds of things, but the missing links all seem to be human. Yeah. Yeah, they all seem to be human. And even just carbon dating, again, we, oh, you know, goodness. we don't need to get into all of this stuff, but even just in terms of carbon dating and the yeah. way that, that, that different forms of, of scientific carbon dating function could have, at, at times, over a billion years worth of discrepancy yes. within the own scientific community. Like, yeah. they, they can't even agree on the age and the date of, of geological um, you know, well, information. You, you can't do that if you're coming from a different place of authority, mm-hmm. right? So I need this to fit in to what I've already presupposed, right? right? That's where it's called scientism, where mm-hmm. science is always disproving itself and proving that that's, right. that's what science does. Mm-hmm. And so, which, which I love. And so we kind of talked about like Mount St. Helens when mm-hmm. it blew up in the 80s, blew up, erupted, erupted. In, in the 80s. It well, you had brand like new rocks. And they, they, these rocks were made 15 days ago, and they carbon date them, and they show up hundreds of thousands of years old. Mm-hmm. No, it's 15 days old, right. and yet it's showing up hundreds of thousands. That, that doesn't make any sense. We already know, okay, then that's a false science. Right. Right? But then one thing we just noticed, when, when God creates, he always creates with age. He creates Adam with age, Eve mm-hmm. with age. I mean, the stars just show up. I mean, right. everything's got the appearance of age already. But even that, we're told 
we're told in Genesis chapter one that matter is old. Yeah. Matter is eternal. Matter has existed long before God formed it with his words, yeah. you know? Um, and, when, and, when, when was and, that? In the creation. Yeah. yeah, back to Genesis chapter one, right? right. At, at the point that he, he reformed mm-hmm. uh, creation, right? right. Uh, there was this matter that he's working with. The spirit of God moved across the face of the right. waters. Right. And so we don't, you know, we don't need to get into all of that, but man, God's word has the answers and science yeah. is just over time proving. Always and over, over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one thing we said, we, we don't know how old the world is mm-hmm. because God is using materials that's already, it was, we, we covered some, not too in depth. Um, mm-hmm. We have other classes for that, but over and over again, I mean, you open the book of Job, it is so full of scientific fact. Um, that science didn't quote unquote learn until years, hundreds of thousands of years later. Mm-hmm. Um, rivers in the seas, or yeah, you know, just or you, mountain ranges, mountain b- ranges b- at the bottom the, of the, the ocean. ocean. Yeah, yeah. 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 There's no sub, there's no submarine to to get to the bottom of the yeah. ocean when that's being written. Yeah. How do you how do you make that claim definitively? Yeah. It's inscripturated. Yeah. It's divine. It's a divine yeah. revelation of a truth that no man could have known. Yeah. Uh, scientifically. Yeah. Behold the moon, it shineth not. How do, you, how do you know that? Right. It looks like it shines to me. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite thing to look at every night. Yeah. There's the moon. And my Bible tells me it didn't. It doesn't shine. Mm-hmm. It reflects. Mm-hmm. You know, that's my Bible. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. No, for sure. So we often think about apologetics as something that happens in social dialogue, right? Mm-hmm. Between the lost world and Christians, right? It happens in the public arena out there. But one of the things that you and I have talked about is the the need for there to be an apologetic within the church context. Mm-hmm. And uh, we often make reference to Laodicea, right? Laodicea right. is that that prophetic, you know, church uh, written about in Revelation that basically pictures for us the age in which we live. A uh, time in which Christianity will be lukewarm. Mm-hmm. Uh, people will claim to know God, but they'll deny His power, yeah. uh, and they'll stand before Him naked and ashamed because they didn't actually have faith uh, in in Him, and they and they they were religious, perhaps yeah. even, but but did not actually know God. And in that kind of world, and in that kind of church, Christians are walking away from their faith because no one's convincing them. Mm. No one's taking the time with 12-year-olds and 15-year-olds and 18-year-olds to convince them of the authority of God's word. Mm -hmm. uh, And they don't have answers for the questions that they have. So why is this idea of an apologetic apologetic within the context of the church so critical? Because people are walking away from the faith at record amounts. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's that's the why. And so one of the statements we make in the class is apologetics is needed in the streets. But right now, it's really needed in the pews. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned that no one's really answering their questions. Well, they have to ask questions, too. I mean, there's part of that. Mm-hmm. They have the responsibility to ask questions. But what I'm really seeing is people are finding chinks in the armor in their parents, in their pastor, in their, in their, in their spiritual people who are supposed to be discipling them and teaching them. Wait a second. I'm not even seeing validity in, in their, their walk in with their G, in their character, and I think that gives them an out. Mm-hmm. And so, so I couple that with I don't know my Bible, 
and I really want to do fleshly things, and I go off over here, and society's teaching this, and my classroom is teaching this, and well, then they bounce. Mm-hmm. And so it's all-encompassing. I think it's super important. So I think Titus chapter 1 gives a great illustration or an example of that, where Titus is left in Crete to ordain pastors, and yet now he's got all these Cretans who are getting saved, and they're bringing their culture and their slow bellies and the, you mm-hmm. know all that stuff yeah. into the church. And, and then Paul's quoting the arts. And if you really want to know what has society's heart, you study the art, right? Mm-hmm. We go into all those different things. Paul tells Titus, you better teach doctrine, and mm-hmm. you better teach it and lay it out and shut people up. Mm-hmm. Um, and the best way to shut people up is to put yourself in a position where you're open to the Word of God and proclaiming the truth, addressing society's issues mm-hmm. with the Word of God. And so that was Titus's focus, um, and it revolutionized but I think you boil it really all the way down. The issue is people just don't know their Bible. Mm-hmm. Nobody in the church is really teaching them, teaching them. Then they go off to college, get taught this new stuff. Oh, I can do fleshly things. I want to go do that. It's so convenient for me to mm-hmm. to, to walk away. And so, I mean, it's it's. I think it's not just one issue. Yeah, no, and I think you know one of the the hypotheses uh, for deconstruction in our world today is this idea that cultural evangelicalism of the eighties mm. and nineties, uh, where you've got Christian networks on TV yeah. and you've got you know wow music seat, worship CDs and mm. and pastors are beginning to recognize that what they do is probably more performative. You know, they're beginning to say to themselves, well. I just need to make sure that I present this well and entertain and mega churches are on the rise. And so what you have in response to that is a generation of millennials and Gen Zers who are deconstructing their faith in response to the fact that they think they might believe in God, but it can't be the God of their parents. And it can't look like what they were taught. And so I've got to undo everything in order to reconcile these two aspects of who I am. On one hand, I really want to do whatever I want to do. Yes. But on the other hand, I can't deny the fact that there was some inkling of truth, some residual truth of, of who God was. And, and maybe I saw a power at moments, or maybe my profession of faith was genuine. And now I, I've got these two things in both hands, and I don't know how to reconcile them. And they deconstruct their faith in order to paint a picture of Christianity that's mm. desirable for them and their flesh. And so I think that this idea of character— and doctrine that you're talking about is absolutely important. And we as Bible believers have to mend this in yes. our church if we want to have one more good push before yes. the rapture of Christ. Yeah. And there's that passage in Judges that just haunts me. We're one generation away from failure. Mm, yeah. right? It just haunts me. I don't want to be guilty mm-hmm. you know, of that. And I think that's so important because if mom and dad are saying one thing in the church— and then 30 minutes later, later in the car or at the dinner table, mm-hmm. they're, they're doing something completely different. Well, the message is, is clear. Nobody believes anything. Nobody's standing on anything. Right. And so why do this? Yeah. As soon as I get the chance, I'm out. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm bouncing. And, man, I see it all the time, and it's happening at record paces. And so you mentioned these deconstruction. Rarely does anybody ever construct it back biblically. Right. Rarely. Yeah. And that's why he says, beware, listen, man, spoil you. They just mm-hmm. get spoiled. Mm-hmm. And they're spoils of war. Tony, before we go, this has been good. And and I, and I believe that anybody that's listened to this would be intrigued by the class and, and really want to um, want to take it. Yeah. 
Can you make a pitch for why every believer needs to take a class like this at some mm -hmm. point? Um, even if it just begins something, even if it's just to stir some, something up in their hearts um, or show them that, that they can prove God's word, not just with God's word itself, comparing scripture with scripture, but with science, with math, with history. Like, why is this important? And, and maybe make a pitch for people to take your class. I think some of us are, are willing to give answers, but we're not ready. Mm. Um, and I think that's, that's the point um, because we're not ready. We're not prepared for what questions may be asked or we don't really understand where people are coming from, or we think, well, I just don't have all that. I'm not very scientific. I can't know. That's not the point. Your goal is to lead somebody to Christ. That's the goal. And so if you want a couple evangelism, you have to couple it with apologetics. They go hand in hand because it, mm -hmm. uh, it brings in questions and you have to be ready to give an answer for those things. And so, man, a class like this gives you the what, gives you the why, and a little bit of the how, and then you got to get on the lab and do it. Mm -hmm. um, it's on you, yeah. you know, whether you do it. So I would encourage anybody to take a, take this class, take a class uh, a lot like it to be better equipped, not so you have more knowledge, but so you have tools. Yeah. And I think that's the key. Man, that's good. Tony, you are the man. I, I, I love you. <laughs> I love you. I'm so thankful for you. You've been such a good friend yeah. to me. Um, thanks for praying for me. Yeah, man. Uh, it, means, it means a lot to me. Um, and I'm thankful that you, you hung out with me today and, and provided us with this insight. Dude, it was a blast. I enjoyed this. It was fun. Yeah. Thanks for making the drive. Yeah, How no long problem. drive is that? Two hours. Not bad. Dang. Two hours to get up here to Kansas City mm. to sit down with me like this. That's right, man. It means a lot. It's all worth it. Well, um, I believe that the, the listeners have profited today because you were willing to do that. So thank yeah. you. Praise the Lord. And we want to thank you for hanging out with us. And we want to encourage you please, uh, we're going to offer apologetics here again in the coming year. You'll see it pop up uh, in one of the semesters and you'll want to take that class. And so, so keep, keep an eye out for it. Uh, sign up for apologetics the next time it comes through. But really, we want to more than anything, and, and this is really the conclusion to a lot of the shows that we have on the postscript, uh, we want to encourage you to know your Bible. We, you, need to, you need to learn the book. And so just as important uh, that apologetics class is, just as important as that is learning the Old Testament, learning the New Testament, taking those introductory classes that would get you familiar with the way that your Bible functions, the way your Bible lays out history, uh, God's mission in this world. What is God up to? You want to you wanna learn the basics of God's word so that you can understand it and, and, and reinforce really what will ultimately result in a powerful evangelical witness. Um, so please uh, consider signing up for summer courses. Uh, the enrollment is open. Classes begin May 28th, so watch for that. But we love you. We're grateful for you. And we ask that you join us again next Monday for another episode of The Postscript. God bless. Thanks for listening to The Postscript. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and review in order to help other people find our podcast. If you value this show, please help us continue creating content by supporting Living Faith Bible Institute at lfbi.org support.